This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. That you can feel your best without feeling obsessed. And that that the why we eat is just out and maybe more important than the what we eat. Hello and welcome back to um, the newest episode of You Need Therapy. Happy Monday, if this is a Monday, if you're listening to the episode when it comes out. Um, If you are, thank you. I love you extra special a lot for um, being on it Um, and up to date. If not, if you're listening to this on a Tuesday or a Thursday, I also love you. So today is exciting. I have Brenna from the at the wellful to talk about we actually talked about a lot of stuff um but she is a virtual dietitian that you know I can't remember if I'm already followed her or if I found out about her through the outweigh series that I was on with at the well necessities Lisa and at radio Amy Amy Brown um who did that series if you don't know what outweigh is amy brown who hosts four things with amy brown did a mini series with lisa from at the well necessities on disordered eating and um i was on that and so i if you haven't listened to that go listen to it it's amazing it's only four episodes it's really good um and it's been super helpful to a lot of people and brenna was one of the dietitians that they interviewed and i think that i was already following her but you know i also can't remember but she has an awesome instagram account and i just remember like loving everything and reposting all this stuff she was posting and um then we kind of connected when outway came messaging back and forth about each other's episodes um when outway came out and then um i asked her if she wanted to come talk for uni therapy and she said yes and so we have her um here today if you don't follow her go follow her it's at the wellful um, T H E W E L L F U L. Um, and so today we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about eating disorders. We talked about disordered eating. We talked about diets. We talked about starting her business and how she did that. 
Um, and so it was a pretty uh, good conversation. <laughs> it's funny. So it was my first Zoom interview. So we are not in the same place and also social distancing, right? So we did a video chat on Zoom. And at the end of it, <laughs> not ideal, but the end of it, uh, I, I'm not blaming her, but she did say it was her internet cut out. It could have been mine. I'm not sure. But our, our um, connection was lost and then we couldn't get connected before each of us had um, to go into our next session. So it gets cut off at the end and I was about to ask like the wrap up question and I didn't. So we're just in our heads going to pretend that that happened. <laughs> And um, so you'll notice that it probably will end abruptly. However, because this episode was a little bit shorter, I decided to try out something new and stay tuned after our my interview with Brenna is done because I did a Q&A. So I talk about that when I introduce it later in the episode. But basically, I asked on Instagram, you guys, to send me questions about anything. You sent me a lot. I picked three or four. Um, and so stay after we talk about relationships, we talk a little bit about attachment and then I talk about myself, um, when I was younger and, um, yeah, so that ended up being cool. I had my friend Kellen come on and and do that with me. So yeah, a little bit different of an episode today. I'm excited about it, but let's not just waste time. Let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Brenna. Hello. How are you? You. Good. It's so nice to meet you. You too. You too. <laughs> um, I can't remember if I, I think that I was already following you before I listened to Amy's podcast. I think. I don't know. I think I definitely found you. Well, I think I found you before there's even aired because I feel like in all of their previews, they were like, we had this great conversation with Catherine. And I was like, who is Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so funny. And I'm so glad they did that. Me too. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. I feel like that was also like, I feel like it was like such an approachable uh-huh. way of talking about things that are, because I feel like it's like, sometimes there's such extremes with, you know, like what this looks like or like feeling like sick enough yeah. or all those different things. And I feel like it was so many pieces of just like everyday things that, yeah. you know, someone who wouldn't otherwise think anything of it, you know, would like identify with it. It was awesome. Anyway, all that say. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I have to get Brenna on my podcast. And <laughs> it's new. So I started in December. It's newer. And most of my like community and my followers and my clients, they're all eating disorders okay. or image or something along that those lines. And I've had two dietitians. One, we just talked about diets and mm-hmm. like, kind of like busted myths of diets, um, like the more fatty ones that are out right now. And then yeah. another one also is a fitness instructor. So she talked about like fitness and how like, we get that wrong and what that really means. And then, so there's only two dietitians and I haven't had any ED therapists on yet, but I just like getting different opinions. And I want to talk about like your philosophy and your way of doing things um, yeah. today, just to get another uh, piece of feedback out there for people. But before I kind of just want to get to know you, cause I usually, I know my guests really well, but I want to get yeah. to know you. And can you say like what you got you started in all of this and I mean like where you're from and like what you do for fun? <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. So I'm from upstate New York, it's like about two hours outside of New York city. So I grew up in like a really small town, which was really fun, but just, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I wasn't really exposed to anything about nutrition 
you know, from an early age, but celiac runs in my family. So I um, started having digestive issues and like 10th ish grade. So that's really where like my nutrition knowledge and interest came from, um, kind of out of necessity of like needing to figure out how to do this. And like a lot of my cousins were already in that world. So grew up always like loving food and like, you know, cooking and watching a food network and like recreating recipes, like pasta from scratch and those kinds of things. But then I think that brought like an extra layer of hyper awareness a little bit because like needing to figure out what gluten-free meant. And, um, and then also, I think that also added just this extra layer of like awareness about what I was eating because before that time I wasn't really ever thinking about what I was eating. Yeah. And I think that's colored kind of my interest now in working with people because I think that when you have food allergies or intolerances or just, it's interesting what kind of sparks you yeah. or someone, you know, becoming more aware of their relationship with food or how food makes them feel or those different things. So I think that was kind of one of those pieces for me and also being like at a time in high school where, you know, think your body's changing, everything is changing. You're kind of like insecure a little bit and like there's all of these different pressures. So I think I definitely had some pieces of like, disordered eating around that and just more perfectionism and uh wanting to do that right but then also getting credit kind of that being gluten-free or having a food allergy was kind of healthier and getting that label thrown on top of it but really that was like my own piece and I went to college thinking I was going to study marketing and just <laughs> yeah just it was just kind of like I had this experience with nutrition I saw a dietitian I loved her but never thought about it as a career um wanted to do marketing wanted to like work for food companies and I ended up getting an internship after my freshman year that was with this green smoothie company in Brooklyn and was doing like marketing and sales for them and as I was doing that would like be doing store sampling events like that person in Whole Foods who you like avoid and <laughs> um and I realized that there was just so much confusion and information about you know food marketing and that we were giving so much credit to the people who, you know, make these products versus, and like realizing that there's not really necessarily any nutritional education behind the people who make these yeah. things. So I would say that's, and so from there kind of then delved more into like our relationship with food combined with food marketing and how to kind of marry those two. So that's kind of how I got into like roundabout, but kind of got into nutrition in general. Like kind of on accident. Yes, kind of an accident. Right. Yeah. And then I kind of transferred schools and decided to go the RD route. Didn't know anything about what that really meant, <laughs> but it's kind of been like a learning process from there and kind of just like building to, you know, enter more of that world and like taking those different pieces. Yeah. Which I think that that is like such a good point and even thing to talk about, like the food marketing and these products that are being like pushed so mm -hmm. heavily and at the same time, what you're saying is from behind the scenes, these people weren't educated on nutrition. They just knew that like green smoothies were cool. And so people would right. buy them. Right. Is that what you're yeah. saying? That right. you're saying? Yeah. And just like the conflicting pieces, right? Like, oh, this is like healthy because it has this ingredient that's trendy, or I don't want this because there's, you know, there's fruit in it and fruit has sugar and like, just like whatever it is, the total spectrum of people would either love this product, didn't even matter what it was really, but it was like, I would just be able to see in a really objective way how everyone had their own like yeah. data set kind of of information that they had learned about what they thought healthy was in kind of a 
hamster wheel type way of like not necessarily what someone themselves was thinking was like in quotes healthy but was like this information they had gotten from these other sources kind of like this seeking of the best option yeah which will probably i, I would kind of like want to come back to that even too because what i find is so i mean even for me sometimes i get so confused but i'm like going shopping and i'm like oh i just need something and it's like okay what am i supposed to have i can't have that i'm not supposed to have that that just they just said that you can't have that anymore but i should have that but it's mixed with that it's like oh my god and our bodies are all so different and so not everybody needs the same exact ingredients and like you don't need to have a perfect smoothie that like enjoy a smoothie so mm -hmm. we'll come all back to that i think yeah. that's a cool that's a cool story of how you even got directed into doing what you're doing so why don't you, can you tell us like, what is your food philosophy and like, what even is a food philosophy and how do you view um, working with your clients and even like fueling yourself? Yeah, I would say uh, food philosophy, I think there's like a lot of different ways of going about that. So I think everyone's just like, you know, how someone would define that is kind of different, but I think of it as like how you're approaching I guess like as a dietitian, how I'm approaching like nutrition in both like myself and also in teaching that to other people. Um, so definitely work from a non-diet and health at every size approach through an intuitive eating lens. And I talk a lot about like that you can feel your best without feeling obsessed and that that the why we eat is just out or maybe more important than the what we eat. And so kind of trying to shift that emphasis off of you know exactly what we're eating or really hyper focusing on that into like what's the context like what else is going on like what's our purpose behind these decisions and like what's influencing that yeah well i love that why we versus what we eat i mean i feel like that's probably what i've said a million times but i've never said it exactly <laughs> like that and i think that's so important because people are like so focused on i need to go to a dietitian i need to get a meal plan and i need them to give me recipes and i need to do this and i'm like okay, but like, what if you don't need that? Like, what mm -hmm. if we could just figure out what's going on with you? And it's not so important if you have like four pieces of broccoli and this and that and on your plate, it's what's going on when you're eating, when you're sitting down and, and all of that. So I think that's awesome. Do you see a lot of clients come in and want that from you of like, I want you to tell me exactly what to do? Yeah, I would say also, I think, I think yes. And I think that's also how we've all kind of been conditioned to think about food. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's also, I'm so grateful to be able to like have clients who are also working with such great therapists, <laughs> you know, it's because I think it's such a team piece of, you know, even I think sometimes the things that I feel like I'm saying, maybe you feel the same about nutrition or about food or a relationship with food is like, we wouldn't really need to say them if our context wasn't diet culture. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of the times it's kind of like unraveling these things that are only spun to us from these other messages. Right. But like, if yeah. the context wasn't that like what you eat and hyper like that focus on that was so prominent, then we wouldn't need to like have that almost permission piece or talking about, you know, the why it would already be there. Yeah. Which this makes me think of, um, okay. So a lot of people might not even know that are listening, might not know what diet culture even means. Can you in a nutshell explain what diet culture is and how it is harmful? Yeah. So diet culture is the assumption or the message that we should be in pursuit of changing our bodies a lot of the times to a smaller body and that a smaller body equals more desirable morally more valuable and it's something that like 
I'm putting this in quotes, but like the assumption that we all have the ability to do this, right? Like yeah. that it's, and it's something that we should be doing. And by doing that, a lot of the times it's fitting more of like a Eurocentric beauty standard and eliminating people based on body size, based on, you know, race, based on all of these other ability, all of these other things too that get wrapped up in it. So really it's harmful for everybody. And it can be especially harmful to people who, the farther you are away from that whatever that beauty standard is that you know is kind of of the moment and kind of evolves but so it harms everybody but it disproportionately harms you know people who are farther away from that in quotes yeah and you saying that like the assumption that everybody has the ability to fit that like not everybody has the ability to fit that and I think that's where I mean uh, it like honestly breaks my heart I have experience with my own eating disorder and mm -hmm. my body does not have the ability to fit the standardized beauty experience of what is put out there in magazines and media without me engaging in disordered behaviors like it's just not possible and i think that is what you're saying this idea that everybody could look like this and you should and if it's and if you can't just naturally be that way here we have 500 different ways that can help you get there and you should try them mm -hmm. they're going to give you a better life right and it's right. just actually not true yeah, I saw a quote recently that was, um, so I'm not sure who, who really said this, but it's not me, but it was something about um, that, like our society treats like a sick, smaller body better than healthy, larger body or something to that extent, which is such a sad, sad scary thing to think about too, but kind of goes with that. Like, it's almost like the other assumption of diet culture is like at any cost, like being smaller is, you know, quote, worth it, or like what you should be doing, but it really, and sometimes that's wrapped up into like this package of like, that that is also healthy, but really it's kind of like, no, it's, it's really valuing that size over any sort of semblance of health or whatever that is. Yeah. When you really think about it, it's like, why? And that makes me think about when I was in college, do you watch the real housewives? Oh, I don't. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it was fine. I don't watch them anymore either, but it was in college and it was the New Jersey, I forgot, I think it was Caroline who said this, but she had lost a lot of weight and had gotten so much praise for it. And this was the same time um, I was in my, like probably the depths of my eating disorder. And she had a quote that said, I have worked too hard to look this good, to eat a piece of cake and feel bad. And she said that after, cause she's Italian and like, you know, like I'm Italian, like cooking's a big thing and eating around, like, just like having big meals is a big thing. And like, just like loving people through food is a big part of like our family and hers as well. And, um, when she said that, I was like, yeah, me too. Like I've worked too hard to look this good, to eat a piece of cake and feel bad. And looking back, I'm like, wait, I didn't feel good. Like I did not feel good working that hard to look like that. Eating a piece of cake probably would have felt really good. Mm -hmm. And I think that is another like parallel to that whole idea that it tricked me. I thought that I, I thought that's what I wanted. And so when you have clients that come in because you work with a specific population and mm -hmm. they're kind of immersed in diet culture, how do you help in, you might do this differently depending on who they are, but like, yeah. what, how do you help them kind of like pull apart from that when everything on the outside is saying like, no, this is the way and the light and the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, but I think, I think parts of it are like 
thinking about who made that rule, like kind of flipping it, like who, why is that? Or like getting kind of curious about like those different rules. And then also like, how have those things kind of like you were just saying, like how have those things been helpful in the past or like how have they not really held up to mm-hmm. those, you know, assumptions about how that would be better or feel better or, and so kind of like looking more about, I think at your own past experience can be so helpful of like, how has that actually worked out in the past, you know, and not, not in a judgmental way, but like, truly, like, we get all of these different messages about like, what you should be doing, or should be eating, or like, how this should look for you. And it's like, okay, that's something that's like these messages of how, what someone else has felt like those different things. But then like, how has that actually been for you and like your own experience? And then I think also, sometimes it's like combining with, um, you know, how bodies work, too, right? Of like, so helpful yeah you know that bodies work really well when we have food consistently you know throughout the day every day and that that pushes against some of those different diet culture messages too like right like if we feel like we like over ate or like ate more than was comfortable there's this assumption that then we need to compensate or do something about whatever that was whatever that feeling was but really like your body will be able to digest that food and it will still need more food and you know that it's it's okay. Like kind of, so I think it's a lot of like taking the charge away from those different messages and then also unraveling truth from whatever diet culture those other things are kind of saying. Yeah. Which I just want to validate too, especially for people that are listening to this. Like it's actually very hard because figuring about, we're not even talking about like body neutrality or positivity or acceptance. Like that is like a whole nother animal of even getting the idea that like I don't have to follow these food rules is really really hard especially if your body does change and the science has been so helpful for Mm -hmm. my clients which I can't really give them and so that's why I think one of the reasons dietitians are so important in this work is I can't give you why you need this and what really happens in the body but I was listening to a podcast about um, brain development yesterday And I forgot the first part, which I need to go look up, but he was talking about what percentage of energy from uh, food that our brain needs. And talk about through the early development, and it was like a huge number, but he said the adult brain, this could be, you could know a different number, but he said the adult brain uses at least 23 or 24% of the energy from food that Mm -hmm. we intake. And I'm like, that's just your brain. That is only your brain. And so when we think about that and when I work with clients about like, okay, like you're okay, like you're fine eating however many calories you're eating every day, but imagine how much more functional you could be. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize that like I'm in brain fog or like when people start getting like cold all the time or their hair is falling out or all that stuff. I'm like, that's because your brain is probably taking like the, as much as it can. And then it doesn't have enough energy to use the other to for the other parts of the body to function mm-hmm. and I think that part is so important for people to learn about of like wait a second what actually do I need to just like lay in bed right 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 and that you still need even if you do just lay in bed all day like you still need food you still need you know food regularly throughout the day and I think facts like that are can be so helpful too because I think you know even like your brain needs a hundred and not that you need to be counting your grams of anything but like your brain needs like 120 grams of carbs each day which is like just to function mm-hmm. and I feel like the, that kind of a fact can be helpful in 
you know, pushing against the idea that like carbs are bad or, you know, these like different kinds of fears, which it's, it's okay to like have that fear and like that's valid and it's, you know, that's something to kind of work through, but then it's helpful also to, you know, just know that that is true or like that that exists. And I think that those pieces can be kind of shocking, but also helpful to have as like, you know, a backup almost of like, yeah. you might feel that way, but then also like, yeah, that's really how, like what your body needs and feels really good with too. Yeah. And so here's, I have two questions and I'm trying to split them up. So one, how do you approach, because you have this like, um, from what I'm understanding, like the, there's no morality with food, no good food, bad foods kind of thing, like taking that out. How do you approach the feedback? Cause I get this all the time. Of, I don't understand. What are you saying? I can't just eat Twinkies all day. That's not going to help me. This whole idea of like, and I think food freedom gets very confused um, right. especially with like social media and that's becoming more of like a, a like fad word. And right. so how do you approach that idea and what does the no good food, bad food, food freedom mean to you? Yeah, I think it means taking the label away from the food so that food can just be food and we eat and then that's kind of how I like bring in those like whys which is like we eat for pleasure we eat because food tastes good we eat because it's a convenient food that you can bring we eat because it's affordable we eat because you know there's nutritional value in it we eat because it makes you feel good whatever it is like and I think that taking those labels of like good or bad or guilty especially um is then lets it be just I mean with a lot of work but like lets it be more neutral and that you can make those choices and feel like each of those choices is valid right like there's no we do like sometimes your schedule is funky and like you don't have your ideal choice of lunch or whatever it is but you can kind of like make it work and if you're thinking about that from a more neutral perspective then you know it's not that that was a bad lunch or you know something to feel guilty about but you gave yourself something to eat and you know we're able to kind of like get through the day it becomes a little bit more functional and it can also become more pleasurable like if you're invited to go out with friends instead of it feeling like a cheat night or whatever kind of feeling that might be it's like I was able to like enjoy time with my friends and I had something that tasted really good and it was part of this experience so I think it kind of helps to separate those pieces and um, I think there's layers to that too. Like I think having that foundation of your relationship with food, which is kind of like debunking a lot of those rules and like becoming more aware of diet culture and those different messages and your own relationship with food so that you can then put those pieces to better use, right? Like, and then when you do hear maybe some nutrition information or more specifics, or are interested in learning more about nutrition, maybe from that perspective, when you, that foundation is a little bit stronger and more stable, then um, you can put it onto like a more stable base, basically, without it being kind of this like rocky piece of trying to search for that best option or what you should be eating or, you know, the good instead of guilty yeah. thing. Yeah. And like, I think that uh, in my, my personal, I'll just speak for me, my personal experience which so many people can relate to is this re very restrictive lifestyle where foods were good and bad. And mm -hmm. what happened is like, like food became like this magic thing, like magic. And I would spend hours reading recipe books or recipe magazines or 
going on Pinterest and looking at recipes and going to the grocery store and looking at ingredients and calories, spent so much time on it. And it was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. However, I couldn't have most of the stuff that I wanted because it was in the bad category. And so what would happen is if I were to have something, I went like balls to the wall. Like I wasn't having just like a cookie. I was having seven cookies and like a whole gallon of ice cream kind of thing. And it turned into this restrict binge cycle, which then brought its own level of like shame and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And with food freedom for me has been so helpful in the way that I look at it, which is like what you're talking about too, is that there is a habituation that I have now had with food of like, I see a cookie in the fridge and it doesn't, I don't go to my bedroom and keep thinking about it. It's there. And then I walk away and if I want it, I'll eat it, but I can have one. I could have three if I wanted three, Um, but it doesn't take up so much space in my brain. I don't feel bad anymore for eating them. And like, like going to dinner with friends, it's like, yeah, it's just an experience and I'm eating what I want. I can, I can then stop when I'm done because I know I'll be able to have it again. And that is such a like simple concept to talk about, but I think that it's also more complex because a lot of people who are in that cycle don't understand it. Wait, wait, what? You think that me letting myself have cookies will stop me from binging every time I have a cookie. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that I'll be eating cookies every day? And I'm like, you wouldn't. I can promise you wouldn't. It, you might have a period of time where you are because you're learning a new skill. So you mm-hmm. might have a period of time where like it's really, it is hard and you don't have self-control because intuitive eating can't just come right away. Like, that is a process that could take over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that part is really scary for people too. But yeah, I think food freedom people are like, that means that I can just have pizza every single day for lunch and I'm going to have that. And I'm like, but you probably wouldn't if you had food Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like and and thinking about like um you know if you did like there's just like a point where if you really are allowing those foods then like you just are truly naturally interested in other foods like even if it's your favorite thing in the whole world right like we just do like variety when we're given that freedom and i think i relate to you know what you were just saying too of like when I think about for me, like what food freedom or like flexibility or, um, has been, has been more that like flexibility of like being able to go to different events and not always know like family events or that kind of a thing, like not really know what's going to be served or what's going to be there. Or, you know, just like taking that brain space, having that for other things than just kind of monitoring or being worried about or thinking about what you're going to eat or what that next meal might be too. Yeah. And Um, I saw somebody posted, you'll see this all the time on Instagram, but like somebody posted something like having pizza with like salad on the side or whatever. And, you know, it's funny last night I went to get pizza and um, I was like, oh, I really want like a salad too. And in, in my history, I would have forced myself to have, if I'm going to have pizza, I better have a salad. But because like I could have whatever I wanted, I was like, okay, pizza sounds really good, but like that sounds good too. So can I get both? And it wasn't because I felt like I had to, to get all of my like food groups. It's just what my body was craving. Right. Um, so I think that's really like important that you said that. And then on that, I want you, I want your opinion and, and viewpoint on intuitive eating because mm-hmm. that is also 
all freaking over social media. I yeah. don't think most people know what it means. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I work with, and I started working with high, like acute eating disorder mm-hmm. clients who like intuitive eating was not the goal. Eating right. was the goal. And they all had meal plans and they had to eat a certain percentage of their meal plans and they had supplements. And so when I work with clients outpatient that maybe aren't as acute, and some of them are, it's really confusing why I would want them to see a dietitian if I'm trying to get them to intuitive eat and listen to their hunger cues that they might not have, but they don't don't have them. So can you talk a little about that of like why it is important to intuitive eating isn't like the first goal? Right. Yes. So I think intuitive eating is, um, was like coined by two dietitians, Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rash, and in the 90s. And it's since evolved and, um, you know, is now more weight inclusive, I think, as their research has gone on in their newest iteration of their book will be also. And, but basically is kind of like the listening to internal cues more so than external cues. So external cues are like, a meal plan or like a calorie count or reading nutrition labels or what those diet culture messages tell us. Mm -hmm. And then your internal cues are like your hunger, fullness, satisfaction, your own knowledge of your body, like what foods you like, those kinds of things. And having that more like permission around food. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like a summarized definition of it. But then the reason why it's not necessarily something that we can just like flip a switch and jump into always is because there are a lot of reasons why you might not be connected to those cues. And so one reason can be like an active eating disorder or a history of an eating disorder, history of just ignoring those cues for a really long time and not listening to them. Um, because then you're, you're kind of like, like you said before, like learning a new skill, like you're, or a lot of new skills of like understanding what hunger and fullness feels like, and not just that those are like good and bad feelings, which is sometimes like the message that we might have, right? Like just that, like, or, or that they're like black and white and that like hunger means start and fullness means stop. Like there's much more nuance around that. So yeah, I think that intuitive eating can be like a goal or like maybe what we hope that there's like an element of in our relationship with food moving forward to have more of that flexibility and brain space and those different things. But it's also like sometimes you do need that more foundational and more structure around it to ensure that you're having enough to ensure that while you're going through that process, you're being supported and like having the tools around that you can become better at listening to those cues and become more autonomous in um, navigating those messages or understanding what that really looks like for you. Yeah. And even like when you said like history of eating disorder or disordered eating, even just a diet Yes. and it, screw with your hunger cues and also with that trauma can skew with your hunger cues and like just the things that you were taught growing up about food can skew with your hunger cues and if food was a coping mechanism rather it's to eat or restrict that's going to skew with the connection of your what your head is telling you your emotions are telling you and your body is telling you and I think that is something that would need people just need education on. And it's not so easy of like, when you're hungry, when your body feels hungry, sometimes your body's not hungry, but it's getting that message because I feel overwhelmed right now. And when I was overwhelmed as a kid, I knew that like food kind of helped calm me down or the opposite of, I feel anxiety right now. And I 
when I felt anxiety as a kid or in any part of my life, I would restrict. And so like, it just can skew it in so many ways. And part of that work is bringing the body, mind, feelings, connection back, which is like hard work to explain to somebody in a first session or on Instagram or whatever. And so I love the intuitive eating and I want us to have that, but I think it probably took me like five years. Mm-hmm. Not kidding because it wasn't fluid either because it's like, okay, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. I've had a really bad day. I'm going to go use some of my like negative coping skills. And then I, and then I kind of screw it up again. And, um, also I might not like keep this in there, but, uh, uh, what's it called? Intermittent fasting. I can get like hot on some intermittent fasting <laughs> because I've heard people sit, talk about how much it helps them have boundaries right? And at the same time, what boundary, why do you need boundaries? Because what you're doing when you have to cut off or start at a certain time is you're literally telling your body, shut up. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, And so because that's been so prevalent right now, have you had, like, what's your experience working with clients and pulling them out of that? Has that been hard or easier? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's hard because it paints itself as this thing that makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and to some degree, like I understand where you would see that it makes or that it feels like a relief in a lot of ways because you're kind of putting up those, that structure. And I think structure or control a lot of it is probably more control than structure, but feels really safe. And I think that's what like diets give us or that illusion of like control in like that feels safe because it's like, there are rules, I can follow the rules, you know, and then I will have this supposed outcome or whatever it is. And I think intermittent fasting does a good job of that because it it tries to kind of like the way that a lot of the times it's advertised, I guess, is that you can eat quote, whatever you want, but you just eat within this period of time. And so it's kind of like this pseudo control, pseudo freedom piece. And I think that that just sounds, you know, appealing in a lot of ways, because it's maybe it's giving you the best of both worlds or whatever it is, but it also is imposing this structure that a lot of the times doesn't even work with the way that you probably live your life, right? Like, you know, to wait until a certain hour to eat and then, you know, stop at a certain hour. And I think it just puts up a lot of boundaries around um, social eating, around like listening to your hunger and fullness cues around, you know, a lot of different. Fueling your body when you work out, like how do you time? It's so much to think about, like so much to think about. But also I kind of like cut this off. How do you, with the intuitive eating versus food, food freedom? I think that's what people get can and confused with of like, okay, I want food freedom and intuitive eating, but you're saying that I need to go through this process of kind of being mindful and eating at a certain time every day and eating. We use exchanges with the dietitians that I work with. I don't know what you use, but when you are kind of working with a client early, what, how do you help them? How do you explain, okay, right now you need to be on a, on a meal plan or have like um, ranges or have structure but the goal is for you not to have structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of the clients who I see are um, either on very flexible meal plans or not on meal plans anymore. So I don't have as much in that you know exact area. But of the people who I do have who have like more of a you know working on more of like that structure around food, I kind of phrase it in that we're like giving yourself 
regular food, like regular meals throughout the day allows your body to become like to know that you're going to consistently be giving it food to and like you're kind of helping it out right like we're starting something new and so you're giving yourself that ability to um have those different food experiences of eating different quantities of food and finding out how that feels of finding out what like fullness and hunger maybe feels like to you down the road but in the meantime giving yourself enough to make sure that your body can be functioning optimally kind of thinking of it as like helping yourself out a little bit yeah I think of it as okay you have to go back to square one and parent your body a little bit and then once it grows up to be this functional adult then you can kind of let it go like move out of the house and go to college and do whatever it wants to do kind of thing Welcome to the second portion of this week's episode. Like I said earlier, and like many of you may have seen online, I sent out a little request. What is that? Just a question on Instagram on my story asking you guys to ask me anything that you wanted to know about me, life, therapy, yourself, God, tacos, whatever comes to your, came to your mind. Um, and I got a lot of really good questions so thank you so much for the people that did send some in if you still have a question and you're like oh man I missed my chance you can still message me with anything now some of the questions were um, ones that we actually I sat down with my friend Kellen Kellen's here I didn't even introduce her oh hi I'm sorry (laughs) many of you might remember her from one of the episodes I don't know what number it was but she is one of my good friends and she's here to help facilitate yeah that's a good word for it facilitate the q a is there anything you want to share with the people before we get going um like about myself i don't know oh or like about the world the world anything you need to say i don't think so although it's funny i was thinking about the episode we recorded because it was um the theme was i didn't think life was gonna be like this and it Uh came out right before the pandemic hit -uh. (laughs) Nuh-uh. yeah and i was like wow you didn't think life was going to be like this, uh, did you? Yeah. No, Any updates are. in your life you want to share? I don't remember. Since that podcast? Yeah. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> like, and I've been quarantined for seven months since then. Um, anyway, like I was saying, so we sat down and looked through them together. And some of the questions I'm going to turn into episodes, which and there was one on shame and regret, which was really good. What were the other ones that we wanted to do whole episodes on? I think grief was one grief. we talked about. Yeah, there was a lot of good questions. So thank you guys. So we picked a couple. What did we do? Three or four? Yeah. Four-ish. We'll see what happens. This might run a little long. And so Kellen's going to ask them, and then we're just going to talk about them. So I guess, like, one, this is the first time we've ever done this. So It is. Very exciting. <laughs> there should be a regular thing we do. Well, I'm not going to say that because I don't want to be. Don't overpromise yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, guys. I don't want to get you too excited. <laughs> okay, so, Kellen, why don't you... We picked them out, but I don't know what order she's going to ask. Yeah. Let's start with dating questions. We had a lot of dating questions. Mm-hmm. You guys are very curious about, the, A, how to handle dating in a pandemic, which is mm-hmm. a valid question. B, online dating. And if... Catherine ever gets frustrated with the prospects me, online me specifically <laughs> or like yeah just you, in general okay, as humans yeah. do yeah. we get frustrated yeah and how do you handle that um yeah so I what I'm hearing is answer the question how to date in the, in a pandemic and then do I get frustrated with what I'm finding on online dating yeah. sites okay 
Okay. The other thing is, I will tell you guys, I didn't like write out answers to these, so we're like it's in in the moment answers to questions. So, okay, dating. This is actually something that is I talk about with clients a lot. It comes up a lot, mainly because my client base is mostly like eighteen to, I mean fifty and above. But like they're probably the 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 majority are like twenty two to I don't 40 and a lot of them are single and always ask the question why why am I single what am I doing wrong um what is it gonna all of those kinds of questions those are really fun questions to ask yourself they're really fun questions to ask somebody else because I'm like one I don't know I don't have the answer to that and two oh that's a lot of like pressure on me but I have to tell you that big answer so how to date in a pandemic uh well we actually both have experience in dating in a pandemic which (laughs) is funny yeah so very creatively is how you date in a pandemic so Mm -hmm. right now dating is not going to be normal in any sense because you're not able to go out and meet people the same way if you did want to meet somebody in the wild have you don't have as many options of what to do you might not want to go to that somebody's house people might be just a lot more cautious and anxious about stuff so you have to be creative. You might not be able to meet up for drinks uh, at your favorite spot that um, you you are used to going to or have your go-to place. You might have to go on a walk. And then do you have, where do you, what kind of park do you go to? What time? Because some of the parks are really crowded. And do you have to wear a mask? And so you have to be really creative. So I'm going to th- throw this a little bit. We'll both answer it. So if you can say, was there anything that you noticed that you did that helped in your experience um, starting to date somebody in a in the pandemic mm, something that helped I think and I could have done a much better job about it but it was throwing like expectations out the window a bit yep because we, I actually started dating this guy right as the pandemic hit and so we had been on like two or three dates out in the public and then all of a sudden we were forced to be inside and it really just like it put a lot of pressure on some things. So it was really hard to like just let go of expectations and knowing that like it's still early on dating. Yeah. We're forced to be in this Mm -hmm. like weird spot where we kind of sucked into a vacuum and you're just with that person too. Yes. Like you aren't doing group things. Yeah. You're not meeting their friends. You're not any of that, which honestly can be a really great thing if you're trying to get to know someone, but on the flip side, maybe it would be nice to get to know their friends and how they interact in social ways. So I think it's just letting go of the expectation and understanding that dating's just going to be different mm-hmm. and you have to be okay with the newness of it mm-hmm. and navigating that. Yeah. Which is exactly what I would say in all of this is you have to go into it thinking that it's not, it's not the same thing with the, I mean, look at how many weddings have had to be changed drastically and you can't go into it thinking this is going to be the exact day that how do I make it as close to the day that I had planned you have to say like this is not the day that I had envisioned in my head it's going to be something different because otherwise we're just going to be comparing and so right now like dating is different throw the expectations out this is a new thing try things new and when you start getting frustrated like remind yourself hey like this is not what I experienced eight months ago a year ago and i can't make it that way so that was a great answer kellen oh thanks you're welcome 
I was trying to see if there's anything that anything you learned. Yeah. So my experience was a little bit different in the sense that I started dating somebody that I had already dated before. So you kind of already knew him and were a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. There wasn't the fears or not fears. I don't think would be the right word, but I didn't have the same um, experience of wanting to go out, needing to go Mm -hmm. out to certain places. We were at a point where we already knew each other and we could have dinner on my back porch and that didn't feel too much as it might be if it was somebody I didn't know. But that's the second part of that question. Oh, (laughs) getting frustrated with online dating. Yes. So, okay. The question says, do I get frustrated in the lack of worthy prospects in online dating? So how do I want to answer this? Because because if, if somebody asked me that as a therapist and they were my client, I would probably answer this a little bit different. Because it sounds like you just made a face. I'm just thinking yeah. and processing. Okay. Because <laughs> because if I, obviously the person who has asked this, well, obvi- I'm assuming, is frustrated with the lack of worthy prospects on online dating. I personally have had moments where I'm like, oh, everybody sucks. But I don't know that that's an online dating thing. I was just about to say, as you were talking about it, it was like, I think it's just a dating thing. Dating is, yes, it should be fun and you're getting to know people, but you're not going to be compatible with everyone. You're not going to be compatible with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that that, when I hear worthy prospects, I don't love the word worthy in there. I would say the lack of prospects that meet what I'm looking for. Yeah. Because that's frustrating because like you said, there's not, there are not going to be tons of people that meet all of the expectations and the desires that you have for the person that you want to spend your life with. Like there are not going to be a million trillion people like that. There's gonna be a a small few. And so when you're experiencing something like online dating, what is happening is you're getting a large amount of people that you're going through and almost like quantify is quantifying, qualifying them Snap but judgment. that's like, yeah, that's like us going into a bar and like everybody has like, let's say like every time we went into a bar, everybody had to like put on like a name tag that said all the things on online dating. And then yeah. you just like walk through the bar and that's how you decide like who you want to like stand next to or hope talks to you or like bump into, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the same thing. It's not the online dating. It's just the fact that like we are in as individuals looking for specific things and that can be frustrating. Yes. Yeah. And I think with online dating too, because you may swipe no on someone that you actually could be, have a lot of chemistry with in person. Oh yeah. And so it, I don't know. Dating's just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And here's the thing here. I will say this. So I have dated multiple people who, if I'm, if I didn't go on multiple dates with, I would have written them off. Or if I didn't know about them from somebody else, I would have written them off after if I had met them online or if they had just like randomly asked me out because I didn't see immediately what I wanted. So I think that that's another part of like being patient. And I know online dating tells us to make these quick judgments, but that could be the issue of like we're making all these quick judgments and saying that somebody's not worthy or good enough when we really don't know them. Right. The other part is there are a lot of people that like it is. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I have a shitty date jar in my house 
because <laughs> maybe we should just read some of those sometimes. we actually should read some of them but just because like i wanted to take the pressure off of i had gone through a breakup and i like getting back out there and dating was just like a sad thing for me because i was just comparing everybody to i who i was had dated before which looking back now yeah like <laughs> anybody would be i take anybody in that shitty thing <laughs> um but anyway so I, I we did that just so we could like make it not so serious and sad all the time and find some humor in how like weird it is sometimes to like dating is weird like you're going it's like you're going to meet somebody to see if you want to like hang out with them forever it's weird it is weird and i think it's also important to remember they're a human too yeah like they're dealing with all the same anxieties and thoughts that you are like guys may not show it Mm -hmm. as much and i'm just making assumptions here but they just may not show it as much they may not talk about it as much but they have those same fears those same anxieties and like what are we doing this is awkward and weird right and that like really horrible date i talked about a while ago i guarantee you that guy thought i was cuckoo karacha like (laughs) he did not enjoy the date either so it's it's just like we just have to laugh at that kind of stuff and i also have met a lot of people that i really like online whether they became friends or i've dated a couple of them and so yeah i always tell clients in my office who are like going through online dating is you just have to know you're going to get a million more no's and feel a million more no's than yeses and you have to go into that knowing that and that's again that's the expectation and um you have to be okay with being rejected too because you're going to be rejected more than people are going to probably want to date you that is you just have to go into that um looking that way and it's a process it's time consuming for most yeah it is what it is and sometimes that's what it takes to get what you want so yeah i don't i don't know that to answer the question shortly like no i don't get frustrated with the lack of worthy prospects just because i don't think there is a lack of worthy prospects i think it's just hard to find them right and i yeah i think it can just be i think dating sometimes can be a frustrating process but that doesn't mean that there are not worthy people amen although i haven't done the online dating thing during a pandemic so i am curious if y'all have online stories if you've been like facetiming someone or something i would i would personally love to hear these stories actually that'd be great if you guys could send in like your best like oh my gosh we should make like a shitty date jar like we should read some of them well if they're appropriate we don't one i don't want to be making fun of anybody we're not in the shitty date i'm not making fun of anybody in the jar it's more making fun of the situation yes And when some people have been really mean, some of them are like people have been mean. Yeah. And like we can laugh at it and find humor in it. So I'm not making fun of them. I'm laughing at the fact that like, wow, that was horrible. And I really wanted to cry. But I think it's just sometimes funny when two people come together and they are not compatible at all. And like you see the world completely different. Like weird things happen. Yeah. yeah, And weird things are said. And it's like, wait, this what? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Like when I was a basic white bitch because I like Target, I was like, "Oh, I hear you." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I haven't online dated in a pandemic either. I don't. Yeah. So, let us know how it's going out there. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, okay, next question. So this kind of um, stems off dating in a way. We're gonna go back to attachment styles, which. You've had mm-hmm. one episode on two. two episodes on. Um, this person asked, does avoidant behavior manifest in 
physically leaving or can it also be emotional? Okay. So for those of you who don't know what that is, I recommend you listening to the first episode and then the one that's titled um, Attachment 2.0 and that goes more in depth into what avoidant attachment is. So they're asking, does it manifest in physical and someone physically leaving not just emotionally or can it be just someone just being yeah emotionally avoidant short answer yes it can just be somebody emotionally avoidant because that would be i'm going to give an exaggerated example so if you're in a relationship with somebody who has an avoidant attachment um, they're going to be more likely to self-soothe on their own so instead of going to you to soothe their feelings in a relationship um, they're going to go to something like this is the kind of person who would be addicted to porn or would go self-medicate with a depressant like alcohol or would um, use drugs like weed or something like that to escape those emotions and deal with them r- that way rather than acknowledge that they have a need and, and they, they want to connect and they want some intimacy. So, yes. They're not, does that answer? Yes. I wanted, I had a question to piggyback off that when they're going to do those things, is it typically alone? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I mean, it typically, but it also could be, it could look like them going to party with their friends Mm. too. Um, and you know what? It could even be like partying with their partner, like, like, or, or getting drunk or high or something like that. If that's what they're doing to escape with their partner, um, that's not creating like probably an emotional connection. If that, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Okay. Um, but I mean, it looks, I can't say what it always looks like because it looks so there's so many ways that you can like escape that. And so I can't say this is what it always looks like. That person could just be somebody who goes and, and reads alone for hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't always have to be so drastic. So yes, it can be that. Um, especially when they're not fully avoidant, like they are leaning a little bit because it's a spectrum. We talk about being on spectrum. That person wants to be in a relationship. Those avoidant people want to be in a relationship. It's just really tough. Mm. So they're not always, you know, what is interesting is anxious attached people. I run from relationships just as much as avoidant. It just looks differently. Totally. Like, that how many times I get have gotten in a fight with somebody I'm dating and broken up with them is a lot because you'd rather I just want to get uh, it over with right and it's a pain avoidance yeah. thing of like if I have the control and can do this mm-hmm. now then they won't do it to me later yes I'm I'm gonna go ahead like I remember this one guy we dated for a while I gave his keys back like four or five times because the thing was like, if you leave now, you better leave your keys. And I was like, okay. And I was like so afraid to stay and not have everything resolved and stay with the person. Mm. Like that was so tough because I'm just thinking about wanting to figure out and fix it. And if I can't fix it right now, well, it's not going to be fixed. Here are your keys. I'm leaving. Don't call me. But really what I want them to do is chase after me. Oh, a thousand Every single time. So I'm really wanting to engage and I want them to like come closer to me but then i just push them away and then avoid and people are like okay peace right they don't actually Doesn't chase well. you no, like they do they in don't. movies uh, no 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 <laughs> or healthy people shouldn't chase you either right. like because <laughs> they're reinforcing mm. they're reinforcing interesting 
the, if if somebody were to chase me, it depending on what it is, but they it could be them reaff- if if I'm the anxiously attached person, I'm running because my feelings are so overwhelming and I'm afraid that it's I'm just going to end in abandonment anyway. I'm going to go ahead and get the heck out of there. But really what I'm wanting is for them to come closer to me. If they chase after me, they're reinforcing my pattern to get what I want. This is what I need to do. Rather than just say, hey, I'm really scared that we can't figure this out. And it's hard for me to sit in like unresolved conversations or issues or disagreements. And that's what I really need to be doing. Yeah. And then they can, we can have a conversation about that. But most of the time we're not doing that have the conversation people have, be have honest conversation. what was the second part of that question the, well i think you answered it all or can it be purely emotional oh, okay. um but another to pay back off avoidant or talking about avoidant attachment um do people with avoidant attachment styles ever get married yes like, <laughs> i kind of <laughs> i kind of answered that in there like avoid we have to remember that these people who are avoidant want relationship. Right. And so it depends, again, how avoidant are you? So if you're somebody who leans avoidant but is pretty secure, then, yeah, like, there's that's not going to be the reason you don't get married. If you're somebody that is, like, so... Like, there are people that are so avoidant and unable to lean into the stuff they need to process and work through that, yeah, they might not get married and they might forever tell themselves that they don't want to. But I wonder if this person is avoidant or is married to an avoidant. Because if you are avoidant and you're asking that question, that would lead into a different conversation than if you're like, is my husband avoidant or is my wife avoidant? I can't tell. And that's the way you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, you can. I think um, something you and I have talked about before, because I have dated avoidant men in the past. And I remember one of my complaints or being upset about the fact, well, they've been in relationship before. Why couldn't they like trudge forward in a relationship with me? Why did they run this time? Or they end up getting in a relationship later. And it like, it's upsetting for me. It's like, what, what did that person do? Right. Or whatever to get the avoidant to commit. And something you said to me was, you don't know the full story. You don't know the full picture of like, maybe that, person that they're dating now you don't know their level of health and you don't know i mean to bring in trauma like you just don't know yeah. how it's affecting their relationship yeah and so that's something that's been helpful for me of just like you don't know the full story yeah and i think you know what i'm glad you said that because i think the person that asked that and i've even been asked this from clients is sometimes it's like well i found out that my partner's avoidant or the guy that broke up with me is avoidant and that's why he broke up with me well can they still get married because if so i still want to go figure out how to make this work Mm. and if that's why you're asking the question like can avoidant people get married or be in relationships i would really ask a couple more following questions of what is what are you attracted to about this person and mm. their their ability to do relationship because yes somebody who is avoidant who you end a relationship with might end up in another relationship and it might be long term but again you don't know what that person's that they're dating's attachment style is and somebody who is am- an- not anxious somebody who is avoidant attachment is never who is not willing to do their work and their stuff and find some security 
is never going to be compatible with me. It would never, they, I will be way too much for them and not enough at the same time. Mm. It'll just never work. And so I can forever be trying to chase something. And it's not about me being like not good enough. It's about the way they do relationship does not work with me. And the way that they do relationship, I should not want because I would have to lower my standards of connection and intimacy as well or change. And so I think that's the question we need to ask of like, you have to look at that person and say, if they did not change anything and do any work, do I still want to be in that relationship? Hmm. Yes. Okay. Tell me about that. No. Okay. Then why do we need to figure out if they can be married or not? We don't because you're not marrying them. Keep going. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) But yeah. So if you guys are, if that's was your question and that's why you asked it, or if you're just going through that and you're like, because I've dated somebody who's very avoidant. And I think the most helpful, like aha moment is when I was like, Oh my God, we know he's avoidant. You are not attract. You don't want to, that's not the relationship or the marriage you want to be in. So I might like him and think he's fun and like cool and like have a good time with him. But I am not attracted to what that would look like in a marriage in 15 years. Right. It doesn't mean like you guys aren't compatible, like as far as like dating and having fun and, or that he's not a good guy, but you think long-term like building a really powerful, amazing relationship. Yeah. Are your needs going to get met? Are your desires going to get met? Are you going to be able to meet their needs and their desires? Yes. What's your level of intimacy actually going to look like? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not about being good or bad. So, okay. Next question. Um, I like this one cause I'm interested to hear what's one piece of advice you would give to your 20 something self. <laughs> I can only pick one thing. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll give you two 20 something. So 20, I was a, what a junior in college junior. You could make it mid twenties. Okay, do it anything because it. You know my all my disordered eating that turned into an eating disorder. I was twenty one, I guess, when that started. But twenty something. Oh, well, going off of dating since that seems to be like the topic of the Q and A. I remember specifically being working a young life. I would volunteer in the summer at young life camps. And I specifically, you know how like when you're younger, everybody seems so older. So like my boss who was like what I was probably like 19 at this time. My boss was probably like 23. I, to me, that's to me that equates to somebody who's like 40. Yeah. Like I just thought that they were so old, like had everything together. No, no, no. But I was like, they're not married. I know. I would hate that life. Oh. I remember being like, oh, I'm, that's not going to be me. And so I think throughout probably 18 to 24, I don't really know how to, where to put the end on that. I always had this timeline in my head of I'm going to go to college. In college, I'm going to meet somebody. I'm going to get married the year after I graduate. And I'm going to have a kid by 23. Like that was my, I was going to have a kid at 23. And then another one, another one at like 25. Can I ask you a follow-up question? You can ask if my <laughs> like, wishes came true. <laughs> they did not. No. Like when you look back on that plan, can you imagine your life like that right now? No, 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 no. And so, no, I would not, I couldn't imagine it and I would not wish it upon myself now. And so I think that if I could go back and like tell my 20s, something self something in regards to this area it'd be like 
what you think you want might not be actually what you want. Like let yourself actually dream and wonder what your life could look like if it didn't follow this trajectory. Because the reason that, that I wanted that is because it's what I saw was going to make me feel better. That's what I I thought was, I was a broken human and I thought that was going to make me feel good because that's what basically life is about is getting married and having kids and for some people that is what they want and that that is and that is okay but it is not what i want yeah it truly is not like do i want it someday totally but i don't i'm i don't want to say i'd be sad because i think if that's what happened i think i would find a way to like lean into it but if i i would never rewrite my story that way if i could just if i could write the path I would never put that in there. So I'd say like, let yourself wonder like what you think you want might not be what you actually want. And there's more out there. Yeah. And also like people like you. So just be yourself. Yeah. That was more than one thing, but that's what I would say. I like it. Let go of the blue. Do you want to answer that question? Um, I mean, I feel like mine would be very similar. It's like letting go of the, what I thought life was supposed to look like or what I thought was going to happen for my life. And, um, it turned out way differently than I thought, but I, instead of getting married to someone out of college, I ended up moving across the country to LA for four and a half years. And I wouldn't change that for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is trying not to get caught up in like what culture or society tells you, should be your life's plan yes okay well that's enough (laughs) (laughs) there are plenty more Um, questions so there's more to come i'm sure and maybe one day we'll do a whole episode who knows we might just start doing bonus episodes someone else brought up the enneagram so oh yeah we're working on that we're working on that (laughs) so um yeah if you guys have ideas or questions or anything again continue to send them I really enjoyed reading them too. Some of them were funny. Thanks, Kellen. Yeah, this was fun. Doing this with me. All right. Okay, so there is one more episode of You Need Therapy, guys. Again, thank you so much for listening and listening to the whole thing and just being a part of the community that we are building. I am like trying so hard not to tell you guys about some of the things that I've been working on lately because I have a lot of stuff. Um, that is about to come out maybe in the next two months. So it's only possible that I'm able to do these things because you guys listen and we actually are creating a community. So thank you so much. I would, I mean, who knows? I might still have a podcast even if nobody listened to it because I like to talk, but it's really nice that people listen to it. So again, thank you so much for just being part of this. And if you haven't signed up for my newsletter, I want you guys to go ahead and do that. You can just send me your email through Instagram or you can go to my website, threequartstherapy.com and sign up through there. Um, you'll be the you'll be the first to know to about the stuff that is coming out in the next couple months. Follow me at Three Quarts Therapy. Follow the podcast at You Need Therapy Podcast on Instagram. And again, please rate, like, subscribe, comment, all of the things. Share the episode if you love it. Um, I want to know that you love it and which ones resonate with you and maybe which ones don't, what you want more of, what you never want to hear about again. <laughs> um, and yeah, so 
guys have a great week. It's continuing to be a tough and weird world we're trying to navigate. So just know that we're all doing the best we can. And I will talk to you guys pretty soon. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.